Thank you for listening to another episode of Recovery Nuggets Podcast. Welcome to another episode of Recovery Nuggets Podcast. I'm your host, David Clement. I'm here with Tara Gilmore. She is the owner and CEO of AwakenYourEssence.net, and she is a longtime recovery explorer. What's up? Hey. How the hell are you? I'm great. <laughs> Good to Today. see you. It's been a minute. Yeah, I know. Yeah, you're... Uh, little drawings behind you. Yeah, this is the... Uh, I got a bunch of... Well, Janet made that lion. It's all wow. little pieces. It's all little pieces of fabric. Wow. Yeah. That's very cool. Yeah. Yeah, that was Christmas present. I was blown away. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah. Up to you. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm glad we were able to link up and do this. Definitely. Me too. I'm excited. Well, thanks for being here. You're welcome. Thanks for having well, me. Yeah. Welcome to the show. Well, I wanted to have you on today to to share a little bit of your story. And you are an entrepreneur who who also happens to be a person in recovery. So you've done a lot of really interesting things. You're a world traveler. And so, you know, I wanted to see uh, and get your insight on recovery. And at the end, we'll get some of your recovery nuggets. Yeah. So welcome to the show. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. So uh, we met in, I would say it's probably 05 or no, 06 or 07 around there. Yeah, I moved here in 06. Okay, yeah, so it was shortly thereafter. Oh, but November of 06, so almost 07 anyway, so yep. Yeah, yeah. so uh, before we get into all the stuff that's currently going on in your life, I'd like to hear kind of how you ended up here and in recovery and getting, you know, on the path. Yeah, well, that could be a long-ish story, so we'll try to consolidate yeah. it on some level. Um, I guess uh, I grew up... Um, Unfortunately, in a family that suffers from addiction, um, my mother was a heroin addict from the time I was born. Um, mm. And my father um, drank a lot. It's I don't know if he's an addict, alcoholic, whatever, but um, he has a lot of the symptoms that are there. So I, I think um, I grew up sort of falling victim to their addiction. I don't blame them for, mm. for what happened, but they both sort of were suffering from what they were suffering from. And they were also really super young and um, they did the very best that they could with what they had. And unfortunately that sort of left me in a position of feeling really pretty abandoned and alone. Um, not that they wanted me to feel that way. I don't think it, you know, after all the work that I have done on myself through um, you know, working steps and applying different spiritual principles to my life and really kind mm -hmm. of understanding um, the disease on a, on a bigger scale. I'm really able to empathize with where they were at that time in their lives and having a, a baby and, and just trying to do the best that they could. So um, I, th I think I grew up feeling very lonely, um, very mm -hmm. abandoned, um, very isolated. I, I was very attached to my grandmother. Um, she did a lot of raising me and my grandmother, my father's mother also was um, a part of raising me as well, but she had a very, very large family and was um, a single mom to eight kids. Her husband passed my grandfather when, mm -hmm. um, gosh, I think my dad was seven. So she raised eight kids wow. by herself and then she had a lot of grandkids. And then 
I was the one grandkid that really didn't have uh, parents and she was busy. So my grandmother on my on my mom's side um, really gave me the love and nurturing that a mother would. Um, and I'm so grateful for those years with her. So um, she did the very best she could to kind of, you know, um, keep me with morals and values and mm-hmm. um, and and feeling loved and all of that. And I think um, when I was about seven, my my mother was still around, but it, very much in her active addiction. And she told me she was leaving to go to the Jersey Shore for the weekend and just never came back. So that oh, kind wow. of reinforced that abandonment uh, for me at that time. That was really a traumatic experience for me. And then she was gone for many years. I didn't know where she was. She was in and out of prison and um, struggling with her with her addiction and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So my dad got full custody of me at that point, and we moved around quite a bit. He remarried. Um, you know, uh, my my stepmother unfortunately had her own set of issues. Was very abusive toward myself and my stepmother and my stepbrother. And that was also we were like latchkey kids. You know. It was, yeah. My dad was always gone. She was always gone. Uh, we were kind of raised each other. We were like two young kids, like raising each other. Yeah. And I, uh, were you an, you're an only child though, right? Uh, I was an only child for 27 years. Oh, wow. My father, who is now married okay. and had a son later. <laughs> okay. But in the formative years, you were, okay. Yeah. I, had a I was just curious. Yeah, I had a stepbrother, um, and he and I were just a year apart. So um, we were, you know, together for a few years, and um, I started to uh, run with, you know, some kids who were really bad, and um, it felt comfortable for me. You know, it was exciting. It was fun. It was, they all were kind of growing up in homes that had a lot of dysfunction, so I feel like there was sort of a common denominator there for all of us, and we sort of banded together and we started drinking and, you know, getting into drugs and that it's all started for me at around age 12, I would say. Wow. Mm. And, uh, I, the first time I ever picked up a substance, I went into a blackout and I couldn't wait to do it again. Um, and that's just sort of, I think the nature of addiction or alcoholism or, you know, any of those things that, that, that we suffer from, um, that are in recovery. And, uh, I, so yeah, that carried on for a few years. I think it kind of gave me the ease and comfort and love that I thought I was looking for. It filled the emptiness. I I wouldn't Mm -hmm. say that it gave me love. Um, it filled the emptiness where I needed love, um, and where I needed care and where I needed, um, guidance and where I needed all these things where I just felt so empty and it filled that space for me. And Most I did that for many, many, many years. Um, so I was in uh, New Jersey during that time in my life. And my mother sort of popped back up at that time. Um, I was in a really terrible car accident. Um, I crushed my vertebrae and um, fractured my skull and um, was in ICU for a really long time. And my mom kind of like popped back up during that time. And um so I sort of started to reestablish a connection with her and my grandparents were uh, really super frustrated with the situation that I was in with my dad and, and stepmom. And they 
uh, drove me down to Florida to visit my mom, knowing that I wasn't going to come back. Um, they were mm. really trying to kind of get me out of the abusive household that I was living in. My father was never abusive to me in any way, shape or form, but my stepmother was, she just had her own dysfunction going on and really kind of took it out on me and my stepbrother. And my father was just really, um, gone, you know? So he was neglectful, um, unintentionally, yeah. but neglectful. And, uh, so I ran away and went to go live with my mom. And, uh, at the time she was doing like, okay. And uh, not using hard drugs. And she had married a, a, a trick, you know, someone that she used to prostitute herself to while my, mm-hmm. my step, who I call my stepdad, he was in prison um, at the time. And she married this guy and she really tried to get her life together. And she wanted to try to be a mother to me and sort of, you know, rescue me from the situation that I was in. And so she tried. Um, and she never really was in recovery though. She was just trying to sort of manage and control, you know, her own issues. And uh, mm-hmm. when my stepdad was released from prison, she left this guy. And next thing I know, we were on a plane, we were back in New Jersey and the chaos just continued. And, and honestly, like I could go on and on with stories sure. like this. Um, that That's sort of what my childhood looked like in a nutshell. It was just a lot of um, insanity uh, I was surrounded by chaos. My grandmother was the one thread that kind of held everything together for me and was my sense of comfort and love and sense of feeling of home. But I wasn't with her always. So, um, but I, I always wanted to be with her. So when we came back from Florida, we moved in with her, um, into her back into her house. And then a few years later, she got sick with cancer and she died within six months. Mm. And then my grandfather uh, died really from a broken heart and died six months after her. Wow. So um, we were living in, in their house, me, my mother and my cousin and my mother kind of went off the rails. And then I also went off the rails at that time too. We were all suffering with grief and not knowing how to deal with that. Um, My uncle got really frustrated with all of us and kicked us out of the house. Um, and then I moved into like a welfare motel with my mother and uh, I was still in high school at that time. And I managed to uh, graduate. I'm not really quite sure how that happened, but. <laughs> um, <laughs> wow. Yeah. Out somehow and got a diploma. Um, I had gotten a bunch of money from that car accident that I was in and um I decided that I was going to go back to Florida to where the one place where I felt like I maybe had like a good life, you know, mm-hmm. like I was like, I just want to go back to Florida. Cause I remember being there for that year or two and really enjoying being there and making friends, mm-hmm. feeling like I was a part of, I think at that time yeah. in my life. I mean, I was only maybe, you know, 13 years old, but I just remember in my heart, like I felt good there. And I thought that going back would solve all my problems and I would mm-hmm. be able to stop using drugs and I could get away from all the chaos of my life. And I enrolled in a private university because it was the only school I could get in. They, they accept your money no matter what your GPA is. So um, I enrolled and went to school there for probably about two weeks, three weeks Mm. and pretty much just found the same people, the same places, the same things. And um, got myself right back involved doing the same stuff I was doing before. Yeah. Everywhere you go, you take yourself with you, which is a concept I really had no idea what that meant. And now I really do. 
Um, I thought if I could just get away from everything that it would solve all of my problems. But what I didn't realize is that if I don't change on a internal fundamental level, everything stays exactly the same. And that was my story. You know, like I went to Florida and I did that for two years and then I decided that I needed to get out of there or I was going to die and all these things were happening and I was in a lot of trouble. I had gotten myself involved with some like heavy duty like drug dealers and I thought I was so smart and I was just this cute little girl from New Jersey and I would, you know, and I wound up getting myself involved with a lot of really bad stuff down there and I decided I got to get out of here now. I had to go back to New Jersey. And um, so I went back to New Jersey and I ran out of money very quickly. And then I moved on to selling myself, you know, to get more drugs. And um, that was miserable. I was young. My mother was still off the rails at that time. And then a friend of mine um, tried to commit suicide uh, a couple times. And the last time she went to treatment, I went to visit her and she was like, you know, when I get out of here, I'm going to go to this 12 step fellowship. Um, there was a panel that had been coming in there and um, talking to the the people in the facility about, mm-hmm. about this 12 step fellowship. And uh, she said, I think I'm going to go when I get out. And I was like, well, that's good because you really need to, you have some <laughs> problems, you know, and I was incapable of really seeing myself. And, right. um, Meanwhile, I was working as a prostitute in a massage parlor mm-hmm. and um, barely making ends meet. I was living with a bunch of strippers in a, a apartment, uh, like an attic apartment. And mm-hmm. I was like, you should go get some help. And I was like, that's great. I said, maybe I'll go and, and support you. And I don't even really know what made me say that. But she was a girl that I grew up with. I mean, we, we were in second grade together. We went through our whole childhood together and we went into our addiction together. And um, I was just like, I think I really, I felt for her, you know, and I was like, I really wanted her to live. Like I didn't want her to die. And, yeah. um, I was like, well, I'll go, I'll go with you. And, um, so that's what I did. You know, I went and I supported her <laughs> for a little while. And Cause you didn't need it. Right. <laughs> I didn't need it. No, absolutely not. I was fine. She needed it. <laughs> no, she needed it. Um, so we, um, went to some meetings together and I continued to do what I was doing while supporting her until one day I showed up there and there was another young woman there who was at the time, I think I was 21. Um, and there was another young woman there who was up in the front speaking and, you know, sharing on a a particular step or something, which I couldn't Mm -hmm. relate to, but what I could relate to was all the feelings that she was sharing and all the Mm -hmm. things that she had gone through and how she found up in this 12-step fellowship. And it was whatever she said, which I don't even really remember, um, whatever she said that day, uh, the fog lifted. And the next day I woke up, uh, I went to a 12-step fellowship meeting, and I have been here ever since. So um, so did you, you got a key tag that day or? Did. Yeah, I picked up a white key tag at a noon meeting. And I have literally been here ever since. And I remember the feeling of and 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 going. My girlfriend shares this a lot, and I love when she shares it in a meeting. Is she'll say that the message of recovery is so powerful that it cuts through the disease of addiction. Mm. And I love when she shares that because that is literally what happened to me 
during those weeks that I was showing up and really not quite willing to yeah. do the deal yet. And um, I was hearing something and I was feeling something. Yeah. And I remember the light in people's eyes and how kind everybody was to me, regardless of if I was still using or not. They were like, keep coming back. We love you. You know, you belong here and make another meeting tomorrow. And no one was judging me. And I think for me, like growing up the way that I did and having been surrounded by so much chaos all of my life, like I really just wanted some sense of stability. Mm -hmm. But to be around like normal people was terrifying to me. Um, I just didn't know how to um, operate in that, you know, world. So when I was in a meeting and it was a bunch of people who had been where I had been, who had done the things that I had done, who had lived in the chaos that I had lived in, but were actually like doing something with their lives. I was like really taken back by that. And I was also taken back by the love and support that they were offering and the emptiness that I talked about before that I was like trying to fill with all of these substances I acknowledged for the first time that I could really fill that space with whatever was going on in this mm-hmm. fellowship. So that was yeah. how I sort of arrived. So how many years was, did you have one white key tag? That's it. That's awesome. November how many 1st, years, how many years now? Uh, 24. That's yeah, 24. That's awesome. Very cool. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting how you were, you're supporting your friend saying, yeah, you really need it, girl, but I'm going to go with you. And then even without really your permission, it was already working on you. And th- and that's kind of what happened to me too. You know, it's like, I don't know what was said in that first meeting, but I remember some of the hugs and some of those people are still around. That's what I needed that day. Like I was crying. I was like that when they share like, anyone else before we wrap it up, you know, the Bernie's desire or whatever. I just started crying. I'm sick of lying and all this stuff. I don't remember anything else. I feel I like some I hugs. remember you sharing some of that stuff early on. Yeah. 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 And um, I remember you very specifically sharing about trying to be someone that you weren't and how painful that was for you. Yeah. 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 So it's, um, it, it is that it's a power greater than, ourselves it's 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 really i can't describe why or how it works it's it magic yeah 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 so it's really magic it's i i i actually i do describe it that way sometimes mm-hmm. yeah. yeah yeah and um to see people laughing and then say hey do you want to go to this they were having a fish fry that day i'll never forget and i'm like fish fry what and uh that same day i went and somebody had called me like from the party life. Hey, we're having a pool party. Come on over. And I'm like standing there at this recovery fish fry. And I'm like, not going to be able to make it. Yeah. But two days before a day before that, I would have been like, all right, cool. I'm there. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So that's how you got here. And then yeah. um, that's I mean, essentially 20- how I got here. Yeah. And I mean, the details. We all do There's that. So stuff. Many. I could take up so much space. Sure. Detail. Yeah. yeah. And that. so um once you once you got here, how would you say? I mean, how did it start to change 
How did things, how did your life turn? Yeah, that it was, it was, it was quick. Um, and it was quick and it was also painful because it, you know, my mother was still in her active addiction. Um, and you know, all of my friends and family and all of that. And everyone kept saying to me, you have to stay away from people, places and things. And, you know, there's these suggestions that we follow and Mm -hmm. they were like, you know, you got to come to meetings for 90, 90 meetings in 90 days. And you should really find a sponsor and you should do all of these things. And, you know, the staying away from people, places and things for me was, was really, um, stressful. Uh, I was terrified of, of leaving my mother behind. Um, the little bit of relationship I had with her was really based around this life, you know, of, of addiction and using. And, and, um, I remember chasing her around and, you know, trying to like drag her off the street and bring her to meetings. And mm-hmm. I was like, mom, there's this, there's this new way of life and it's so amazing. And oh my God, I haven't, I haven't gotten high. And, you know, however many days I had at the time. And I was like, I, I can't even believe it. This is so cool. Like I, I can see life in a, in a new way. And I like my whole life started to come alive, you know, and um, yeah. as terrified as I was, I was so excited also I, because it was like, it talks about, you know, uh, lost dreams awaken, new possibilities arise. And I, you know, I always love that. I was feeling that then I, I didn't really yeah. know that was happening, but I was like so excited. And uh, she was like, you know, I don't even know who you are. You're being brainwashed and I don't like this. And that was really painful for me to kind of uh, hear her say that. And it was at that point I realized I was either going to go back to join her or I was going to leave her alone and, and, and go in a different direction. And, and I, Thank God I talked to people and some of my predecessors were like, well, you know, maybe your brain does need a little bit of washing. <laughs> and yep. um, I couldn't agree more, you know, so I took a break from her and I took a break from staying in touch with people. And I really dove in and I got the sponsor and I got the home group and I got involved in service and I got the commitments and started going to conventions and learning how to live and enjoy life without the use of, of any substances. And everything started to change for me. And, um, I let go of that, you know, uh, job that I had quote unquote job that I had prior to getting into recovery. And I got a waitressing job and I started hustling and saving money. And I was living with some family members at the time that it was the only, it was like kind of last house on the block. My aunt let me move in and um, she was an animal hoarder and I mean, it was like disgusting in there and I was um, <laughs> piss stained carpets and like still around people who were like using not necessarily hard drugs, but that were still using, but I wanted to stay clean and, uh, yeah. and I did, and I stayed there for about 90 days. I saved up money, I hustled and I got an apartment with, with a girlfriend and, uh, and I kept it, kept it moving. Um, and then I got a job, um, I was doing decorative painting prior to my actual getting clean at, at different times. Um, yeah, I wanted to ask you how you yeah. got into that. Um, that was something that like, I kind of dipped my toes in by mistake. Um, I was working at like a greenhouse for this guy who had his own addiction issues and it was kind of a free for all there. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was nuts. And this guy came in and he was like, Hey, did you decorate this greenhouse? I had like, done some cool stuff in there and i was like yeah he's like well my wife's looking for an uh, apprentice for her decorative paint company and i was like 
what's that? <laughs> he was like, well, just call her and she can tell you about it. Um, so I did, I called her and it, it was, um, we had a face-to-face interview and she kind of explained to me what decorative painting was. And I was very intrigued by it. And she hired me and I left the greenhouse job and worked with her for a while. And I, you know, I, I kind of was in and out of working for her because I was not very stable at the time. But, mm-hmm. uh, once I got, uh, my shit together, I, uh, had this waitressing job and I asked her for a job back and I continued working for her and continued waitressing and, and making meetings and burning the candle at both ends. And I, I'm really good at that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and that's sort of, there's been a transition to where I am today in comparison to where I was then. I am very driven, um, which is sort of a double-edged sword at times. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I worked with her for a while and I, I learned this trade and then I decided to, um, uh, leave the job after about two years of being clean and go travel cross country. <laughs> right. So I did a bunch of traveling and uh, left for about a year and traveled around around the country in a van for a while. I'd saved up like a bunch of money and then sold all of my stuff and um, was able to live and kind of work odd jobs around the country for about a year. And then my mom uh, got arrested and uh, decided that she wanted to give recovery a shot. And so my her and my stepdad uh, were on drug court and they were going to, you know, start making 12 step fellowship meetings. And I made a decision at that time to come home. I was in the Ozark Mountains of Missouri making pottery and um, picking echinacea for money. And I mean, it was just, yeah, you know, it was cool. So I came back and. Then, um, then I decided to kind of start my own business once I got back after I had about, about two years clean. Yeah. Started a decorative painting company and continued to, uh, get education in that field. Um, I, I went to the finishing school in New York and That's what I okay. courses there and, um, tried to use all of their products and, and use all of their techniques and do all these really cool things and started a company. And so I built that business um, in New Jersey and um, did a lot of restaurant, like commercial work that was really Mm -hmm. popular back then. Everybody was sort of doing like, you know, folk stone, making things look like dick and like old surfaces and um, frescoes, which are really popular in Europe, were kind of like a thing in New Jersey then too. So we were like emulating frescoes and plaster work and all these different kinds of things. And I just kind of fell in love with the craft and the trade of, of decorative painting. And um, I built a pretty successful business in New Jersey and I hired, you know, a bunch of people and we had a, a really good crew and I made a lot of mistakes in business and um, learned a lot of lessons along the way, but I come from a long line of entrepreneurs. So I feel like I sort of have that gene in me a little bit. Yeah. And I she love definitely that. does to those that are listening. <laughs> she definitely does. Yeah. So I, uh, yeah, I, I, I continued on with that. And, um, I lived, uh, in West Orange at the time in a condo and I really just, uh, we were growing out of the space and trying to work out of my home. And I made a decision to, um, sell the condo and pack up a 26 foot truck and get out of New Jersey and stop, you know, running around like a lunatic and paying on absurd amounts of money for living. (laughs) And I moved to Washington. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's when I got here. And um, yeah, that was, I took a little breather. 
um, cause I needed one. I had been kind of running myself into the ground, which I, I kind of do naturally. Yeah. Um, so I took a well, breather, kind of regroup. Can I stop you there? Yeah. What, yeah. Where do you, where do you think the, um, that drive comes from? What do you think that uh, is? I think I was born with it. Okay. Um, I also think that addicts are very resourceful people. Mm-hmm. I think we know how to get what we want when we're out there doing the things that we're doing and we know how to make stuff happen. And I think I took some of that with me into recovery also. Yeah. Uh, but I think some of the drive that I have is kind of innate. It's just like a part of, of mm-hmm. who I am. I've always been a hustler and I've always been a survivor, like regardless of if I was in my active addiction and I kind of took that into my recovery with me. Um, yeah. I never liked leaning on anyone. That's definitely something that I struggle with. Um, and today, um, and we'll probably get into that a little bit yeah. further down the road here, but I, I just, um, leaning on people was very, very, very scary for me. So if I could build my own empire, then I don't have to lean on anyone. <laughs> so that's sort of where that comes from. Okay, cool. Yeah. It's, it's always interesting because, you know, like you said, the, when we're out there, we, we, we are some creative people to get what we want, but then when we get clean or sober or whatever, we can be resourceful and turn it into an asset. You know? yeah. And, yeah, uh, I, definitely I think for me, like it. being an only child, it's hard for me to ask for help. Cause I'm like, I was kind of wired to not do that because it was just me, you know? Yeah. So it, it kind of makes sense, but that drive, I think there's a part too. How much time did I waste and all this other stuff? So it's not that I'm like trying to make up for it, but I don't want to waste it anymore either. Yeah. So I'm like, all right, what's the, what's the motivation today? So there was definitely a sense of that for me. Like I wasted a lot of years, like trying to go to college. And I think you and I may have even talked about this through the years, but I, I had spent a lot of years. Like I started out in university. I screwed that up. You know, I came back to New Jersey. I tried to enroll in a, in in another college and I I failed out of there. And then I enrolled in community college. And then I was like, what am I even doing? And then I managed to get clean. I actually dropped out of school once I was clean because I was just throwing money away, you know, and I had, um, so I just, uh, I realized I I was like, I I think I did feel some of that. I was like, I I need to get my shit together, you know? And I just Mm -hmm. quickly really wanted to do that. Yeah. It's a combination of things. Yeah. 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 It's interesting to see what drives people that are, you know, I would say you're like a, not a serial entrepreneur, but you are, you're definitely the spirit of an entrepreneur. When I think about you, you remind me of my best friend. He's got a fitness studio in New York. And I mean, he's just a hustler. He's a grinder. And, um, you know, you, um, I was talking with Lisa when I was doing that piece for her. And she said that she mentioned that you might be pivoting away from being so involved with of the essence and all the, the faux finishing and stuff and doing something else. And I wasn't sure. So what, what was the catalyst for you to kind of let loose of the reins of that a little bit and do what you're doing now? Well, I, you know, there's two sides to being a, you know, serial entrepreneur or like a really major go-getter or, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's burnout that comes with that. So I think what happened for me was 
you know, I built this sort of empire of a business. And then, you know, I met Shannon, obviously, eight, yeah. eight, nine years ago, and he joined forces and, you know, he wanted to grow the business even bigger. And he kind of has that fire and drive in him also. And, and so we made the business into what it is now. But when he and I had met, I was already about 15 years in. Mm-hmm. And I said to him, I'm, I'm a little burned out. I'm really kind of tired. And I, I, I don't know how big I want to do this thing. I was like, how big do you want to make it? You know? And he was like, well, I just wanted to be able to support us and for us to not have to run it forever. You know, he's like, but I want to build it to the point where it can run itself. And I, I was on board for that, you know? So, uh, but it took a lot of work to make that happen. Um, There's a lot of moving parts and you have to really have the ability to build strong relationships with people and have mutual respect with people, with your employees. You know, there are definitely um, a lot of hurdles to get over with that. And I, I, I think for me, recovery really comes into play there with how to run a business. You know, you have to treat, I have to treat my employees like they're human beings. Um, it's not a democracy, but it is um, an arena where everyone is equal. You know, yes, is this my company? And at the end of the day, you do have to listen to what I say. But I am um, a company owner who listens to my employees. I listen to their needs. I listen to their struggles. Um, I take their suggestions sometimes. Like I ask them what I think, you know, mm-hmm. makes something better. And they become a part of this machine, you know, um, yep. to where not only it benefits me, but it also benefits them. They like coming to work. Um, we treat them like family, you know, yep. so... Um, but I think what happened for me, and I'm getting off track here, is that oh, this is great. Um, I sort of reached this place where we, you know, we have a lot of recovering people that work for our company, and this is a part of our model. You know, um, Shannon and I both really like to help other people who are trying to get on their feet. And, you know, maybe they have felonies on their records, or they don't have a trade, or they've been using most of their life, and they don't even really know what it's like to have a real job. Or, mm-hmm. you know, they want to learn how to work with their hands, and they need something that's going to carry them for the rest of their lives. So we put a lot of time and energy into helping people um, that are in recovery. So but there's two sides to that. Also, it's exhausting. Um, because you're dealing with people who come with a lot of drama. Um, they're new to the program. They're new to recovery. They're trying to get their lives together. They have court dates and they have, you know, they have to go back to jail for the weekend and they have all these problems with getting their kids back and they have all this trouble with their families. And then this one's in a fight with their girlfriend and they, they can't get come triggered. That's just like one thing after another. I mean, you hear everything. I mean, every story you can think of, you hear when you're working with recovering people. So Mm. it really, that was, I think, honestly, the catalyst a little bit for me. Um, I struggle very deeply with codependency and that is um, rooted in my childhood and in my issues with my my family, you know? Mm. So it's always trying to fix, manage, and control my surroundings so that I can feel safe. Yep. and that's a whole nother topic we could get into, but that's just that could be a whole episode right there. You know, so I, you know, this is something that I've been working on for the last 10 years of my own recovery. It yeah. has been dealing with this issue of, of codependency and um, really taking the focus off of helping everyone else and really taking that and focusing it on myself. So yeah. 
um, that was sort of the, the springboard for me to exit of the essence designs and sort of make my way into this new venture of awaken your essence. Yeah. So, um, it was, uh, the breaking point of, of having all these addicts working for me and not yeah. wanting to fix all of their lives anymore and really needing to take that time from, I was burnt out, David burnt. Yeah. Yeah. Just burnt. I, I believe it. And, um, you know, I noticed on your website, it talks about, you know, sound healing, Reiki, trauma-informed yoga and meditation. And um, I feel like the past couple of years, I've kind of done a deep dive into healing unresolved trauma. And I did some ED EMDR for a while. And there was a lot of stuff that I had to stay clean for long enough to be able to finally deal with that stuff. Like you can't get, I couldn't get clean and then next week start dealing with my trauma. Oh. You know what I mean? So it sounds like it, there's a parallel there where you were like, all right, I want to deal with some of this stuff and, you know, dealing with trauma and down-regulating and getting your nervous system back to regulate it is huge. I mean, so I want to hear how, now that you made the transition, what, what did it look like in the beginning? And then how did it lead to you starting this, this new venture? Yeah. So I, I agree with that. You know, I wouldn't have been able to dive right into that. I think at, you know, a few years clean, I dipped my toe in yoga. Mm -hmm. um, and it was something that really resonated with me. And I carried that through most of my recovery. Yeah. Um, I've always uh, been in to getting outside help, like through therapy. I did a lot of talk therapy on and off throughout my years of being in recovery. But it wasn't until I actually um, found some EMDR that I really started to, yeah, when you said that, I was like that, it changed my life. Oh, yeah. It changed the trajectory of my recovery. And at, I had about 14 years clean, I think, when I, when I really started to do that deeper diving into the trauma from my childhood. And also, I had a very traumatic first marriage in recovery with um with a husband who was very psychologically abusive you know it's like i was trying to work out all these issues of my childhood in a marriage you know yeah. so it was like it repeated itself until i really kind of decided to break that cycle through jumping into some of this deeper work uh yeah. with dependency and trauma resolution so uh yeah it was through emdr and um you know i've always really been interested in meditation and interested in kind of knowing my psyche and like how it works and why it is the way that it is and why I react the way that I do. And it was through meditation that I was really able to start to understand some of that stuff. So I had joined a group of people who used to just sit in Wilmington um, on Sunday mornings. And that was sort of my introduction to meditation. So I started to, to practice meditation and yoga and I was doing some EMDR and I've done some other different trauma therapies through the years. And I started to regulate my own nervous system and I started to see massive change in my ability to be present mm. and my ability to not react to uh, triggers. Not yeah. to say that I was completely cured of these things, but I started to see um, a big change in my own life. And in my relationships with people, you yeah. know, so that was the biggest thing. I mean, really, what what we all want connection, right? We yeah. all want to have relationships with people. We all want to have that feeling of uh, of love and support. And I think for me, 
uh, all of this trauma and all of these things that I, I dealt with in my childhood and even the things that I put myself through in my own addiction, like I was incapable of really experiencing that. So mm-hmm. all of these practices brought me closer. And yeah. Yeah. so that yeah. that's great. I mean, I remember I was doing some talk therapy and I felt like sometimes I was kind of manufacturing things to talk about because I didn't feel much movement. Mm -hmm. But then when I got to a point where I've, I was so sick of some certain things, I talked to a coworker who was an ex-military and he was talking about it. And I had an old sponsee that had done it, the EMDR. Yeah. I met an EMDR therapist through Facebook of all places. I saw an ad here in Wilmington and I messaged her and filled out the forms and I went and the rapid rate in which I started processing stuff that was no longer triggering me was just, it blew my mind really. It, Cause she it told me up front. Yeah. She told me like, this isn't a years we're going to do like probably five or six. And, and I mean, it was what as advertised, I was just, wow. <laughs> you know, I've had a few episodes since I've been doing this of different EMDR counselors that have talked about it. And, you know, I know there's other different somatic healing and uh, brain spotting and stuff like that out there too. So, yeah, I actually have done some somatic work. Also, one of my very dear friends is actually a somatic uh, therapist. And um, yeah, I love all of that. And so that sort of was the, I still want to be involved in helping people. I love helping people. Mm -hmm. I believe that truly, um, I am a natural healer. I think I've always kind of had that in me, but yeah. I think now having done all of this work on myself, I really want to yeah. be able to share it with others. So I made a decision to um, basically start to transition out of the company. I spoke with Shannon. He still wanted to continue running it and he's, he's doing yeah. it. And yeah. I've handed my position over to Casey and mm-hmm. she's sort of taken the ball and ran with it. And I still oversee some things from a financial yeah perspective but i really kind of let go of the reins and that's been hard it's like sending your baby off to college and it's been an emotional transition for me to really let go of this beautiful thing that i've been working on for the last 24 years 23 years of my life yeah Um, it's basically like saying okay you know you've turned 18 you're going off to college now and i'm just (laughs) gonna stand on the sidelines and watch you make decisions now you know so it's hard for me to kind of do that and i've cried a lot and i've grieved and you know for many years so um you know we still have like 17 employees that are working for the company and wow is it 17 now that's awesome it fluctuates you know sometimes it's 15 sometimes it's 20 you know but um, it, and it runs itself and we have some wonderful people in place that are super dedicated and I trust them and I love them. And, you know, sometimes people come, sometimes people go, but it, it, it remains, you know, it has, yeah. it has a system in place and yeah. it runs and that's so cool. So, um, I, when we were, we were working on a project in New Jersey, I just kind of reached this point and I, I said to Shannon, I think I want to go back to school and become an integrative nutrition and wellness coach. And he was like, Okay, you know, so I went to IIN out of New York City, and um, I just graduated and got my certification to be uh, a health coach. And my focus is 
uh, basically, and it's an in, it's integrative health and wellness. So um, that's big picture. It's sort of like all the things that we're talking about. It's not just the food that you put in your body. That's sort of the last thing that happens. Mm-hmm. It's like what is going on with you um, on an emotional, mental, spiritual level that is, you know, basically dictating the choices that you make in your life. So it's like the choices are the last thing. It's like what's actually happening inside. So I've decided to take the route of stress and anxiety management. Mm. Um, And a lot of that comes with um, like somatic experiencing. So we're sort of stopping to kind of take a look at what's actually happening in the present moment and um, managing some of that stress and anxiety through a lot of different modalities and kind of diving into, you know, whether it's childhood trauma or just bad patterns that we've picked up through the years or, or whatever it is and sort of trying to unpack what's happening for people so that they mm-hmm. can um, regulate their nervous systems. And uh, I think for me, it's a lot of overachieving and um, thinking that I have to keep up with, ha- with what's happening in society, mm-hmm. you know, um, keeping up with the Joneses and, you know, what it's like, uh, what we call like hustle culture, you know, and I lived by that hustle <clears throat> culture for most of my life. And it really gave me a nervous breakdown is what wound up happening. And so like, how can we live to our fullest potential without feeling like we have to be doing something 24 seven? How can we be more effective by taking care of ourselves and living from a place of authenticity and self-care and, and, and seeing how much we can actually achieve when we balance that first instead mm. of burning ourselves out to get somewhere. So um, that's sort of the avenue that I'm taking with my clients now to help them kind of come back from this hustle mentality, which is what I did essentially. And um, I'm practicing Reiki with people and um, the sound is, a, is sound therapy is a big part of, of what I love now. So I've gotten yeah. certified as a sound therapist, as a Reiki practitioner, and um, I'm also certified uh, yoga instructor. So. Yeah, it's uh, I'm going to put your all your links in the um, show notes. And uh, so you have you also have an event coming up. Well, you have a weekend retreat, but you also have a big retreat coming up in the fall, right? in October. I'm really excited about that. That'll be in uh, Puerto Viejo, Costa Rica. Um, and uh, my girl, my girlfriend, who I was telling you, is an SE somatic experiencing mm-hmm. therapist. She's actually the co-host with me. So okay. we'll be offering sound therapy. We'll be offering SE work um, and basically nervous system regulation. We'll be doing some awesome outings like uh, snorkeling. We'll have a cacao ceremony. And I'm sure every morning we'll get up, we'll practice yoga. We'll have you know, a, a group to connect and um, have a little tea and some discussions and yeah, um, yeah. So now, is this geared towards women yeah, mostly? Yeah, it's okay, it's open. Yeah, it's very much mixed. Actually, Shannon will be there with me, and and he loves music and sound too. So he actually went ahead yeah. and got certified as a sound therapist, also, which has been nice. And now we're kind of doing a little bit of that together. Um, yeah. just he enjoys the music so much and has also um, experienced what it does to the nervous system. Oh, it's really cool. Yeah, I love I've got some old singing bowls and I, I just love the tones. And you know, I I heard um I can't remember where it might have been on a meditation retreat, but the instructor was talking about if there's tension in your home or something's going on, just go over, keep one out, a small singing bowl, go over and ring it and just yeah. everybody stop for a second. And it's amazing how long the tone lasts after just one gong. And it, it really brings everyone, it really brings your attention back to the, the now. 
I love that you mentioned that because uh, one of the things that I've studied that has been so meaningful to me in the practice of sound therapy is the theory of sympathetic resonance. Mm-hmm. So, you know, all everything vibrates at a cer- certain frequency. So when there is tension or disease or, you know, someone's feeling sick, um, everything starts to vibrate at a lower frequency. And what happens with these particular instruments that are tuned to, you know, certain um, hertz, uh, when you play them, it brings everything up to that resonance, you know, which actually, you know, lifts your spirits and lightens your moods. It can actually bring the body back into homeostasis and brings the environment back into homeostasis. So it's cool that you say that. Yeah, I love that. That's, 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 so where did you go to school for the sound training? I, I went um, up back up to New Jersey, Hudson Mind, Body, Spirit, um, and uh, I, I trained with Bob Horwell, who I absolutely love. Um, he's just dedicated his whole entire life to sound. So we trained with him and got certified through him up there. That's amazing. Yeah, so before we, we run, I want to um, I want to touch on the freedom of like recovery and travel, because this past just this past year, you've done a lot of pretty cool looking trip. So I'd yeah. like to hear a little bit about that. Yeah. Uh, travel is my passion in life, which is also, you know, I've moved into this new chapter to where we're I'm basically becoming an international retreat leader so that I can continue doing this and also, um, you know, continue to heal and help people and, and also do what I love and, and be able to do it in all kinds of different places. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we were just in Italy. Um, we we traveled Costa Rica for um, six weeks. Well, Costa Rica, Nicaragua, Panama, um, yeah. So Central America, we did for six weeks, and then we went to Italy for two weeks. And I just love to travel. I love culture. I love food. I'm definitely like a foodie, so I like That's to. That's what travel. I was going to ask you about the food. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Italy um, is insane. The- it's yeah. just the food there is incredible, especially Florence. I mean, that's where I really was like, oh, the 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 Italian food I ate growing up was not this. Oh no. I'm very <laughs> particular about what I put in my body. And I, you know, I've had some food sensitivities throughout my life, which is another thing that I've sort of uh, unraveled since I've moved into this chapter of my life and you know, putting the appropriate things into my body that that make me feel good. So uh, gluten has become an issue for me, like it has for so many people. And I have some autoimmune issues going on and stuff like that. So I I don't eat certain things here. Sugar, you know, um, I'm not super strict about it, but I do the very best I can. But I will say that when I went to Italy, my doctor was like, you know, you might try and see how the mm-hmm. gluten over there makes you feel. And um and and maybe even dairy, if you feel like, you know, you might want to have some gelato or something like that. And I was like, okay, you know, I'm, I'll definitely try and see. I ate gelato and pizza and pasta every day that I was there and I felt great. Yeah. Um, so it just goes to show you, I mean, I, I hate to bash anything, but um, the quality of food here, unfortunately, you have to be yeah. careful about yeah. it um, and it's just nice to have the freedom speaking of freedom to just kind of eat whatever you want yeah. <laughs> um i will say that you know my addiction kind of kept me locked in this box you know i felt like i was uh you know I, I would sit in a room and and get high and think about all the things that i wanted to do and all the places that i wanted to go and i never left the room yeah. um and since i've been in recovery i have been and done so many things, you know, yeah. I, I have traveled 
you know, Central America, Europe, I've traveled all over this country multiple times, you know, and I've gotten to see and experience all of, you know, the beautiful things that nature offers and the history that is in different places like Europe and um, the culture that exists in Central America. And I've gotten to see like blue zone states and like blue zone countries and like how they live and what's important to them and family is important and mealtime is important and electronics get put away. And it's just amazing to see people like harvest their own food and like they don't go anywhere else to source it. And um, to just be a part of that, you know, and, and see how different people live and what they do and, and what makes them feel alive. And then try to add that to my own life. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's, I mean, that pretty much sums it up the travel and, and the experiences, you know, it's like, the longer I stay clean, like I, the stuff isn't as important as the experiences. So. Oh my God. I'm so glad you said that. And I, I, I think now this new chapter of my life, I love stuff. Don't get me wrong. My yeah. husband is like, you've never seen a sad motherfucker on a jet ski, right? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> money, he says money can't buy you happiness, but right. this, you know, so I agree. The stuff is, is fun. It's great. I, you know, like we, you know, we enjoy our lives and, and sometimes money can help us do that. Yep. But really it's the relationships. It's, um, you know, the, the community that I have, uh, the joy that I get to experience in my surroundings and, and really it is about the relationships in my life more than yeah. anything, you know, and to be able to experience another person, you know, and, and yeah. what is meaningful to them and hear that and be present to it. It fills me up to yeah. be with my dogs. Um, yeah. watch the birds. I hear these chimes in the background that I hung like a, a couple months ago. And like, yeah. I love that, you know, it's little... <laughs> I'm laughing because like we have two binoculars, we have two bird books by the back door. We have the app. It's called the, um, it's uh, Cornell university. You can record it and it'll tell you which birds are around you. Oh. I mean, yeah, yeah. I'll send you the, I'll send you the app. Please send me that. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's just funny that you're talking about that. But with all that said, I wanted to, before we leave, I wanted to get some, you know, if someone was uh, listening to this and, and, and thinking about recovery and, you know, what would you like to share with them? What would, what recovery nuggets would you share with them? Wow. I would say freedom is in surrender. Um, absolutely freedom is in, in surrender. I think sometimes it's like, I know for myself, it was like the idea of surrender meant that I was just giving up, you know, and that I was a punk and that I wasn't strong enough. And what I, I think I have realized more than anything is that the, the strength is in humility. It's in the acceptance of, you know, what my capabilities are but also in the acceptance of what my limitations are. Like sometimes there are limitations and um, in accepting those limitations, I feel like I find more freedom in accepting who I am on an authentic fundamental level. Um, I think that cultivating my own authenticity based on who I truly am has given me more freedom than, than, than anything. I spent a lot of my life as a chameleon and really trying to be and do uh, what everyone else wanted me to be. 
Um, and I was always trying to live up to the expectations of what I thought society had of me. Uh, but it's really been in accepting my own authenticity that I have found freedom. Um, but it takes a lot of courage to do that. It, it really does. It's easy to stuff yourself in a box, even though it's as suffocating as ever. You know, it's, it's, it's easy to do that. I think it's, it's challenging and takes a lot of courage to step outside of that and be who you truly are. But I think when I am who I truly am, it's easier for others to be who they truly are. And then magic happens. Mm. That's beautiful. Thanks. This has been awesome. Yeah, Thanks man. Thanks so much for being on the show. Yeah. Thank I will. Uh, yeah. I will put your links in the show notes and then I'll let you know when the episode's up and then we can, you can share it on your socials and all that good stuff. Heck yeah, man. Awesome. Thanks again for listening to recovery nuggets podcast, get in touch with the show via Instagram at recovery nuggets podcast. Also the email is recovery nuggets podcast at gmail.com. Please subscribe to the podcast on Apple or Spotify. Thank you for showing up for your recovery today. Recovery Nuggets podcast and guests are not representatives of any 12-step program. I'm not a doctor, counselor, or therapist. I share my experience, strength, and hope. Guests of the show share their personal experiences and opinions. Take what you like and leave the rest. Mm-hmm.